Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. And Labor Day, so good old American know-how. It's what Americans are known for. Get her done. Our most famous or perhaps infamous philosophical stance is called pragmatism. We're pragmatic people. We Americans get her done. That's what I want to think about for a few moments on this Labor Day weekend. Knowledge know-how, and wisdom, and getting her done. Unfortunately, we Americans have been so busy getting things done that we've often failed to ask, uh, why are we getting this done? And the effect of getting her done on living things in the planet has not really been a great concern to us over time, and this single-mindedness has cost us. Zhuangzi, whose name is sometimes spelled Chengzhu, you may have seen that in print, lived in the 300s before the Common Era. He's known as the second great Taoist sage after Lao Tzu, also written as Lao Tzu. Now, Zhuangzi is best known for his little anecdote of the butterfly. In the story, Zhuangzi is sound asleep and has a vivid dream of being a butterfly flying from flower to flower without any care. Zhuangzi wakes up and vividly remembers being a butterfly in the dream. But wait, was it a dream? Might it all be the other way around? And actually, Zhuangzi is a butterfly dreaming of being a human being. What is real and what is illusion, he asks. Zhuangzi wrote this. Between Zhuangzi and a butterfly, there must be some distinction. This is called the transformation of things. Now, there's some interesting points in this very short little thing. Is there, he's asking, a distinction, a difference between two sentient beings? If so, what the heck is it? Aren't we both temporary conglomerations of matter soon enough to decompose and form other conglomerations of matter? That's what the Taoists think. That's what humanists think. Is there actually some kind of difference between these two sentient beings and where we're going? Well, apparently not. And that's where Zhuangzi gets this very odd conclusion from. This is called the transformation of things. This is called the transformation of things, which he means, by which he means to say that I have created a thing. I've created a butterfly that ain't me, okay? And that's a mistake, says Zhuangzi. Don't do that. That's your first mistake. You and the butterfly are, as a matter of fact, 
One, don't transform the grass and the clouds into things. That's your first mistake. By this, he means that we create a self, right? We love ourselves, and it's me, me, mine, and then everything else is a thing, all right? Wrong behavior, says Zhuangzi. For Taoists, the human, the self, is a process in the middle of all the other processes. And not only that, but there are processes within the processes. So if you think you're something besides a process, you're simply living in illusion, say the Taoist. It all keeps evolving in this yin and yang, yin and yang, yin and yang thing. And if you look closely at this, uh, the trigram it's called here, uh, you see that the ancient Taoists didn't have four elements, right? Earth, air, fire, water. Oh, that makes so much sense. Well, they didn't even think of it that way. They had several elements that then turned into what we call the trigrams that then turned into the, uh, the writing uh, in Chinese that we understand today. Now, Zhuangzi also told this story. The, uh, an emperor uh, during the Warring States period, those of you who are into Chinese history, it's a long time ago, but uh, a very fascinating time, sort of like the Old West in American mythology. But the emperor during the Warring States period heard of a butcher named Ding who claimed that he had a knife he had used for 19 years, and it was just as sharp as the day he got it. All right. Now, intrigued by this, the emperor traveled to ask Ding yeah, this is very old, it's hard to see, but you can see, kind of see him over there on the far side there with his knife and a, uh, an ox there. So the emperor wants to know why and how he keeps his knife sharp all the time. What is it about this knife? So when Ding butchers an ox, he does not force the knife, he tells the emperor when the emperor asks about it. He doesn't cut through bones. He doesn't hack through sinews and joints. Instead, he finds the natural gaps and spaces in the formation of the animal that he is butchering. By doing this, the blade faces little resistance, and it doesn't wear down. It stays sharp. So Dean tells the emperor, there are spaces between the joints, and the blade of the knife has really no thickness. If you insert what has no thickness into such spaces, then there's plenty of room, more than enough for the blade to move. That's why after 19 years, the blade of my knife is still as sharp as it was when it first came from the grindstone. Now, Ding's method reflects true Taoism and later Zen, which Zen Buddhism in Japan is a is a, a builds off of uh, Taoism in China, if you know the history of this sort of thing. But the idea here is to be in harmony with nature, to understand the, the essence of things, and to look at what the heck you're doing about getting done, right? Don't force your way through things. Instead, find a path of least resistance, Ding the Butcher tells us. Sure, get her done, but get her done with some thought beforehand, some thought during the process, and reflect a little bit. Be the philosopher of the knife. The story emphasizes the virtues of skill, technique, how you do things, right? Understanding, knowledge, and wisdom, the wisdom of working with nature 
not against nature. So we're talking here about understanding, know-how, and the way to work. Those of you who've worked with wood know that the first thing that you want to do is look at the grain of wood when you're going to work with it, right? You see where the grain goes, how it goes, where the knots are, etc., and then you go with it if you're going to create something beautiful out of wood. And really, Dean is saying the same thing. I, I, <laughs> who knows what the Internet's going to come up with next? Uh, Zung Zi's story is Butcher Ding, a slaughter ballet. That makes no sense uh, at all if you know the story, but apparently someone has written a slaughter ba ballet about uh, uh, the Butcher Zings, uh, Ding, so uh, there you go. I haven't seen it, and I don't think I want to because that's not what the story is, is about. But you look at the materials that you're working with, and then you get her done. Dallas developed a concept for this wu-wi or wu-wei. Um, as you know, Chinese is so difficult for English speakers that we can't even really get it, but it's wu-wei or wu-wei, one or the other of it, and it means non-doing. Non-doing. Effortless action. Wu-wei. All right, that's the central concept of Taoism. Taoists developed this concept uh, to get at how we can get her done without breaking stuff in the world. At its most basic, woo-wee refers to a way of being in which one aligns with the natural flow of things. That's what Tao means. It's, it's the natural flow of things. It's the way the universe works. You get into that, and then it is effortless and spontaneous, and yet you're doing things in perfect relation to your environment around you. The practice of wu-wi means using no force against the natural order of things. Rather, one stays in harmony with the Tao and within its flow. Yeah, I know. How do you use a bulldozer in this regard? The Chinese aren't doing a very good job of it either, even though this is their philosophy. Very, very old, right? And it's causing them some problems. The concept is sometimes by non-Dallas seen as passivity, but it doesn't mean sitting around being passive and letting the world pass you by. Notice that in the story, the butcher Ding gets her done. He's a known butcher. He's a good butcher. Rather, Wu Wei is about action that doesn't feel in any way forced or artificial. It's a kind of action that feels natural and appropriate for any given moment. In the U.S., we do sometimes talk about this with going with the flow or being in the zone, right? Abraham Maslow talked a great deal about this. But we haven't really focused enough, I think, on it. In a practical sense, it can be seen as a recommendation for simplicity and spontaneity and tranquility. Get her done, but enjoy it. Breathe a little while you're doing it, right? This is why Taoist texts often use metaphors from nature, such as flowing water. Water goes downhill. It's the number one rule of Taoism. Water goes downhill. Don't argue with that. <laughs> right? Don't argue with that. And some of the oldest waterworks in existence developed by human beings on the planet were done by Taoists in this time period. Our recent spate of natural disasters have showed that too often here in the U.S., we've taken Ding's knife and we whack and hack at things. 
we too often have a dull knife, and I think that's what we're looking at here in the U.S. today, is, hmm, how did our knife get so dull, and how come things are falling apart again? Why didn't we get her done? Well, it's because we, ba we ignored some very basic realities about getting her done, which is water runs downhill. We really forgot that on the Mississippi, didn't we? Well, let's look at some terms and distinctions. The Greek term episteme, episteme, is typically translated into English as knowledge. Okay, knowledge. Now, when we talk about, when you know, you've read about chat GBT and all of that, the worry that many theorists have about episteme is that we're gonna forget it because, heck, we just get it out of the computer. So we're gonna forget all of the accumulated human knowledge that has been going on for so long. How do you open this door, you know? Chat, GBT, you know, it's, and, you know, I think that, you know, at one level we know that's not going to happen, but at another level it is possible that we are going to lose some of our knowledge, our episteme. Well, that is very specific knowledge. It's organized, it's grounded, it's rational. It is knowing what or knowing that. It is knowing Okay, that's esteem. And with the Greeks anyway, what's the opposite of knowing? Doxa, orthodoxy, <laughs> knowing the answer. Right? That's the opposite of knowing, is always knowing. Because you forget that you don't know anything actually. Remember, that's, that's uh, Socrates uh, all the way. So doxa is the bad thing. Orthodoxy, belief, bad, episteme, knowledge, knowing how good, but... Here's how the Taoists built on this a little more. In ancient philosophy, they contrast the, doxa, the, the subjective, the, the doxa, with the episteme, but then they build in this thing called techne, techne or technique, which is where we get the word technique, right? It means knowing how to do something, knowing how to do something. So you can know a lot of stuff and not know how to do anything, but thought the Greeks. And I, and I think they might be right about those distinctions. So the Greeks used the term techne to refer to a kind of knowledge or skill related to a craft or an art. Ding, the butch, butler, butcher is using techne. It's a philosophical technique, but it is a technique. It's a way of knowing. It is wisdom, says the Taoist. So you can know what to do, but maybe you don't know how to do it or you can know how to do something and believe in your doxa that you can't do it. Whatever. Book learning, as we farmers call it. I grew up uh, believing that episteme, episteme, was a bad thing, right? Knowledge, all oh, those silly eggheads out there, right? We, we farmers called it book learning. We put the matter very plainly. We thought uh, that it was the most contemptible of things to go to university and learn something. Uh, that's why I didn't go back to the farm. It works kind of a, like a model of music, after all. I mean, folk music, you're just supposed to love it, right? But with, with classical music, you're supposed to have to learn something, or you generally do have to learn something in order to enjoy it as much, right? So you get that, that's kind of a basic idea of how this works. Know-how, however, isn't all experience. It's also philosophy, say the Taoists, and also the Greeks. So you get her done, but you get her done wisely. Now, as I see it, there's a grave error that has developed over time 
in our understanding between those different terms up there. And the, the mistake has been integration. The Greeks believed in integrating technique with knowing how to do, knowing what to do. But we sort of have thought, oh, well, there's this, and then there's, right? We're going to let those other people do, do the stuff, right? Well, we think about it, or whatever, or however that works. As a humanist, my conviction is that life, a human life, being itself is the activity of a creator, and that creator is you. You're behind the knife, in other words. You are the crafter of your life. The Taoists insisted upon this, and so did many Greek philosophers. We each are the creators of our meaning, our purpose, and our lives. We do it, even if we don't want to. We will do it. How deeply we are aware that we are, from moment to moment, crafting our own lives. Right now, you have a choice. Right? You can achieve what you want to call it happy, whatever. It starts right now, said the Taoists. It starts right now. As I mentioned earlier, in Greek philosophy, the term techne was used to describe craft, but the term carries a broader meaning in its translation than just technique or something like this. In the Greek way of understanding, we have a conjunction and integration of concepts that have been separated in our own time between get or done and why the heck am I doing this? Which is a philosophical question. Why the heck am I doing this? Metaphorically, some philosophers have extended the concept of techne to describe crafting your own character. Character is fate. Right? That's not a bad thing, <laughs> according to the Stoics. Character is fate because you are in charge of your fate and your character. Change it if you don't like it. That's the whole metaphor that's going on here. A good and meaningful life is quite literally crafted, said the Taoist. But crafted how? In the philosophical tradition of Greek Stoicism, technique involves the cultivation of erite, which is moral excellence. I am so morally excellent. Or you want to be shooting for that. Although if you ever say it, yes, then you've, you, you've, uh, yes, you've outdone yourself there. But the Stoics believe that through technique, the pursuit of erite, individuals can then achieve this thing they called eudaimonia, which is not actually happiness, that's in this translation. Euda is happy, is good, right? But it's not actually happiness that you're shooting for, according to the ancient Greeks anyway. But let me, let me take a shot at this in, in English in case I've been too confusing here, okay? We each are the creators of our own lives if we choose to be the creators of our own lives. That's a big if says both the Taoists and the Stoics. It's an if that most human beings never consider, let alone make manifest in their lives. Most of us never accept being the creators of ourselves. We each are the creators of our own lives, which is a craft, and it's an art form that we practice every day. We, but we can't craft something if we don't know what we're crafting. So what the heck are you crafting? I'm crafting a good life, say the Taoists. And Ding is doing that too, right? 
He's crafting a good life as he keeps his knife sharp. The question to ask in any event is, what will a person of moral excellence, that irritate thing, do in this situation? I mean, it's, it's really pretty simple, but it's almost impossible to do, right? What would a moral person do in this, in this particular thing? Every moment of every day. What will a virtuous person do in the next five minutes? What will a virtual person do in the face of the climate crisis? It's the same question, say the Greeks. By so asking and crafting your life accordingly, you will be living in accordance with your deep nature and your potential. That's what we're playing for here. The Buddha says, you're sitting there meditating, and you, and it, oh, 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 I got to do, I got to, I got a deadline. He said, that's the beginning of illusion. That's death right there. That's samsara. That's the worst thing that can happen. Is life, the horror of life has suddenly engulfed you. You have to stay focused, says the Buddha and others. It's also the real and true answer to the question of being yourself. You are the artist of your life, step up because you are. There's nothing to fear. To conclude, let's go back to a moment for the old Taoist story. Ding and the butcher and the emperor who comes to see this magical knife. Well, what's this point of the story? There is no magical knife. It's not magic. Ding's not magic. The knife's not magic. There's a philosopher behind the knife. There's a philosopher holding the knife. There's a philosophy to the use of the knife. That's the point. That's the way the Taoists saw us. All of us, each of us, is the philosopher with the knife. We all have a job to do, carving out a life. Each of us is the philosopher. The Taoists advise no hacking. Don't go slashing. No resistance. Sure, that ballet thing might, yeah, yeah. Do a little dance, shall we? Woo-way, all the way. It's difficult but doable, all right? Look at the world, say the Taoists. See it as closely as Ding sees the meat. There are spaces between the joints, he says, and the blade and the knife has really no thickness. If you insert what has no thickness into spaces, there's plenty of room. More than enough for the blade to move. That's why after 19 years, the blade of my knife is still as sharp as when it came from the grindstone. Nope. Nothing is magical. The Taoists are here to tell you. It's about focus. It's about taking the effort to expend no effort. Take the effort to expend no effort in living your life. That's the wisdom of the Taoists. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.